All right, first things first. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? Hopefully they're younger than you or maybe older than you. Maybe there's someone you don't know. Let's take 30 seconds. There's a couple of prompts on screen. First of all, you're gonna share your name and your profession if you have one or your grade and what your Thanksgiving plans are, but please do introduce yourself to the person sitting next to you. And bring it back. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Jeremiah 18, verse 6. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Romans 13, 1. When you are making pottery, you first have to center the clay. This has a parallel to the relationship we have with God. In order to become what He has called us to be, we must first be centered on Him. Once God has centered us, He can then begin to mold us and form us into the person He wants us to be. Just like a pottery, the inside of the bowl is considered the heart, and we have to clean it out in order to form it. God does the same for us in our lives. After God has centered us and formed us, there is still one last step. In pottery, after you mold the pot, you go back and trim off any excess clay. This is what God does with us. With anything you do, you don't become perfect on your first try. You don't throw the perfect pot on your first time behind the wheel. And you still have unnecessary baggage in your life, even after you've been made new. God takes us and trims off all of our excess baggage so that we can begin our new life with Him. And so, just like the clay to the potter, we must submit our lives to Him and give Him the authority to work in our lives. And yet, O oh Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, and You are the potter. We are all formed by Your hand. Isaiah 64, 8.
For those I haven't met yet, my name is Jonathan, and I have something of a strong will. How many of you would say that you, are, you would self-identify, I have a strong will? Go ahead and point to your spouse. It's okay. <laughs> um, turn to your neighbor. You have 30 seconds. In a battle between your head and your heart versus what you want versus what you know is good for you, which one wins, your head or your heart? You have 30 seconds. Turn to your neighbors. Go. Someone over here said stomach, um, so. Today's um, a difficult topic for me. Um, so I thought I would just be upfront and honest. Today's about submission. And so I thought, well, here are the areas in which I struggle with submission. For myself, I struggle with what I want versus what I know is good for me. My other self, I struggle between what I want versus what Sonia wants for me. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Um, I struggle in parenting. What I know that is good for Colin and Sydney versus the value of their own firsthand experiences, right? Like, will you just do what I tell you? But like, I know you have to make your own mistakes and it's, I struggle with this. I struggle in my vocation. Hypothetically, when I just want to be a youth pastor and just hang out with my students and just watch movies and just be at their games when other pastors make me preach, So what about you? In your own self, or in your married or dating self, or in your family relationships and your family dynamic, in your workplace dynamic, where are you asked to submit? If you were to tune me out for the rest of the morning, and if you were to spend some time working through those four areas, and if you were just going to ask yourself, God, should I submit here? Is this good for me to submit here? Should I not? If you were to spend the rest of the morning just in a meditation on those, it would be a profitable morning for you. But for those of us who want to go forward, I find the last area for me, that I struggle hardest in is in my worldview when I interact with today's culture. And especially students, I've placed you randomly around the room because adults, you need to know that this is where we as a student ministry struggle the hardest as well. When culture says one thing, but we know that God says another. And there is friction. And if we don't navigate that friction well or carefully, sometimes it just breaks. But as a youth pastor, I get the privilege of 
watching and hearing their stories and their lives, and, and I get to help them navigate their path through today's friction. Let me just tell you some of the issues. I'm sure you're aware, but let's just ladies out here just be open and honest about this. Today's friction issues of the church and the LGBTQ plus community. And we have friction on gender roles and equality. We have friction on issues of race. We have friction on issues of evangelism. They think it's wrong. We think, well, someone should do it. <laughs> and at the risk of gross oversimplification, it seems to come down to a single question. This is what I pray for, with them, for them. Is how much are they willing to submit to God? How much do they trust God? And here's where that knife stab comes in. How much do they see us trusting in God? This is where Paul is in Ephesians for a handful of chapters. He's been talking about your old life and now the new life and the old way should be put aside and the new life should be taken on because we have this new life in Christ. And he's talking about real life, rubber meets the road, practical decisions. And he gets to this passage in chapter 5 that we as a church and as a culture and as a worldview have been debating for centuries, if not millennia. I'm going to say it's about how we trust God. But it sure does look on the page like he's talking about marriage and gender roles. So, married persons, and those of you who are blessedly single, through your own stories today, and maybe through the students' questions, you're going to help the students draw a trajectory towards Christ. Maybe it's through their adult lives as a single person or their adult lives as a married person. But in a passage like this, it just feels like it's so easy for them to say, that's for later, unless you're helping them draw that path, to draw that trajectory, to make that connection between where they are now and the choices they're making now versus where they want to be. So here's my big point. God wants me to heart check how much I trust him. How much of that is just words? How much of that is just my way of life? But when it comes to an area where I have friction with God, how much do I really trust him? The series that we're in on Ephesians is called Big Words. And this passage in particular, today's passage, Ephesians 5, is notorious for its interpretations on men's and women's roles, particularly in regards to marriage. And so Pastor Eddie and Pastor Paula, in their wisdom, thought it would be hilarious to give it to the pastor on staff with the least amount of experience with adult gender roles and the least amount of experience in marriage. And so I am practicing humbly submitting <laughs> and maybe not doing so well. <laughs> the big words associated with this passage traditionally are complementarian and egalitarian. And again, to grossly oversimplify the issue. The difference in the, between the positions is how they view women's roles. 
particularly in marriage and leadership. One position supports different but complementary roles for the genders, and the other does not differentiate the roles according to gender. In my household, it might be said that I affirm Sonia in every single way as a perfect being made in Christ's image, every bit my equal and more, and yet for some reason when it comes to car maintenance, somehow it just happens to be my job. <laughs> and I would say this role is gender blind, honey. And she would reply with something equally sweet that would make me just do the task anyway. Um, I want to be honest, Pathways, that uh, my education was in one of these schools. And for 10, 15 years, I theologically took this position. And in the past handful, 10 years or so, I have really tried to figure out what do I believe about these passages? How do I really live this? Especially as I was blessedly single, I could afford a certain freedom, I could certain, but when I got married, it really became serious, like which is, which way are we gonna go? Um, and so, as in many things, I sought advice. So I asked some fellow youth pastors who I knew to be on one side, and I asked some other youth pastors who I knew on, my, on the other side, and I said, can we talk about this, please? I have to preach in a month, and I don't know what's going on. So they said, sure. And so I gave them this case study, a marital case study. And so they thought about it, and they thought about it, and they discussed, and they discussed. And they told me their conclusion of what this practical life decision would be. And to no one's surprise, it was exactly the same. They both said, whatever the marital case study was, the conclusion was exactly the same. They would both in real life do the exact same thing, although when I asked them to defend their decision, their reasons why were very different. And yet the end result was really just the same thing. And so that did not help me at all. Um, And I may change my mind on this when one of you enlightens me later on, someone drops some wisdom on me. But at the moment, I am in this place where I think that maybe this is an issue that humanity argues about, that maybe God just wants us to put to rest. So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll start with verse 22. And it goes like this, if you'll see it on the screen. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I think the sermon is over right now, and we should just go home. <laughs> Which would not be very pleasant for me. Um, Can we just leave those verses up? Here's the hard part of this. It's really hard to read any of the words in those verses without the tainted lens of power and authority coloring our interpretation. When you hear the word submit, you immediately think of conflict and friction and one power and another power, and one must give in to the other. One must subjugate or sublimate themselves to the other. They must become less somehow. 
in order for there to be some sort of agreement, is our feeling. When we read the word of head of something, we immediately think of power and authority and prestige and command authority. And as I read this verse, even as I look at it, I can feel my students in the room just like, are you going to talk about real things, Jonathan? Like, there is no way we are okay with this passage like this. As I sit with college students and 20s and 30s and people on their way to God, we are keenly aware of our culture's sins with the abuse of power and authority, especially when it's combined with violence from men towards women. And so something in us with this tainted lens, something in us I think rightly balks and objects to this passage, and we want to call, and our, and our desire is to, well, at least the students, they just want to call God old-fashioned. They just want to call the Bible irrelevant. They want to say that the whole thing of Christianity is from male bias and patriarchy, and that we're all done with it. It's no longer part of our lives, and it's just not for us. There's a part of my sinful side. There's a part of me that understands that desire. But this is Paul's point. This is where Paul's digging in and saying, now that we are in the light, now that we walk with Christ, now that we are our new selves, as best as we can to remove that lens of tainted power and authority and look at it with the lens of those who love and follow Christ. And all the Bible scholars in the room noticed that I had left out certain words in that passage. Let's read it as it actually is in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, with all the words, says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So I ask you this question. How much do you trust in Christ? If I were to lower myself into this chair, which, Clark, I will replace, I promise. If I were to lower myself into this chair, when I sit down, do I have to struggle with the friction of, well, do I believe that gravity exists? Do I trust in the physics and in the construction of this chair? Do I have to fight? Do I have to consciously decide about whether this chair will hold me if I sit. <laughs> kind of depends on the chair, right? Um, but generally, no. I don't have to subjugate my will to gravity and to physics. 
I just trust that it is. And so I sit. I'm going to go out on a limb and try this by saying, here it is. If I trust God completely, then I'm not submitting. If I trust God completely, then I take for granted his reality of blessing in my life. If I trust gravity and physics, then this chair is going to hold me. If I trust God in my life, then his blessings are just there. They are going to happen. But students, my beloved students, you can't miss the first part of that. It begs the question that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ first. And Pathways, this is where our students struggle. For many of our students in this generation, God means going to church. God means doing Christian things, good things, moral things, the same things their Muslim friends, their Buddhist friends are doing. There is very little for them that they see that is uniquely Christ. And it begs the question, how much do we trust Christ? How much are we showing them? How much can we help them? This is the rub. When we speak of subjugating will, when we speak of submitting myself to another, this passage in Ephesians is all about injecting Christ into the middle of my relationship with everyone, especially my wife, especially my loved ones, especially my family, my friends, my co-workers. And if I trust him enough, then these blessings just happen, and they are for real. And if I trust him enough, there is no friction of will. It just is going to be. If I were in a room with college students right now, if I were in a room of just high school students right now, um, if I were in a room of just 20s and 30s, um, and by the way, we have been praying about maybe starting somehow starting up a ministry. If you were at all interested in a ministry with 20s and 30s, you should let me know because we're going to get into this. We're going to help figure um, how do we get into real issues of today, and we're going to do all this. So if I, had, if I had a room just full of this population of high school, 20s and 30s, the application questions would be very different. <laughs> because as I reflect back on my own life, as I think about who I was in my 20s and 30s, and had I been more observant of Ephesians 5 and God's presence, then I am very certain that my dating life would have been very different about who I chose to date and how I dated. So, I'm going to have you tell the students that, those stories. So, you have a couple of minutes. There's a neighbor chat on the screen. If you would reach over to your neighbor and pick one of these questions, you don't have time for both questions, but you'll see two questions on screen. Pick one, go back and forth for a couple of minutes, and share a little story about yourself. Go.
give me another 30 seconds on the countdown. And come to a good stopping point. I'm really quite envious. I really wanted to hear some of those stories from you. <sighs> Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, it's your turn. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And no wise man argues with that verse. At least not where our wives can hear us. A while back, um, I had uh, an unfortunate departure from a church. I didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing sinful or immoral. It just sort of happened. And then a short time later, again, nothing wrong, nothing sinful or immoral or in any way. I had another separation. So in a relatively short amount of time, I had separations from two churches, and it was unfortunately clinical absent of the love that I felt that we had experienced as a youth ministry. And it was more bruising from the church than at that time that I could handle. So, long story short, I was out of the church. I was tired of the church. And I was not at all sure that I wanted to continue to serve God as a pastor. You might understand that that search process took a while. Maybe it came out in my interviews. I don't know. Maybe the bitterness or maybe the, the, uh, the wavering came through in my interviews. But it was a couple months, and I was getting possibilities, but nothing landed. And then two months stretched into four months, into six months. And now I'm starting to empty out my portfolio, and I'm starting to cash things in and I hit 10 months. And now I'm frankly just broke. And this is my fault, it absolutely is, but I was too proud to go home. And so I was 30-something with a master's degree, living out of my car with $27 to my name. And one of my best friends found out and called and rebuked me and said, what are you doing? Come home. I had shared an apartment with him when we lived in Southern California together. And he said, just come home. I've got you. As long as you need, 
no rent, no meal costs, nothing else, just come. You can have the spare room. It's yours for as long as you need it. It was so weird to me being with him, and he had the kindness and the hospitality to ask me things like, what do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? What is it that you want to do? And those of us who have been thin in finances, we understand, you understand with me that when you don't have money, everything is about money. <laughs> and so when he's asking me, where do you want to eat? I'm like, dude, you're paying, so like whatever you want is good with me. What movie do you want to see? Whatever you want to see is okay with me. Hey, let's go to Disneyland. Well, that's, you know, you go ahead. Like, no, I've got you. Every single time, he just, it never crossed his mind. And as a strong-willed, prideful young man, it didn't feel like I was submitting to him because I was so grateful to him. In no way did I ever exert my, oh, I don't want to eat that. Let's go there instead. No, no. I'll pay. No, I couldn't pay for anything. <laughs> Let me do it my way. No, your way is going gonna, gonna to work. It didn't feel like I was submitting to him because of the depth of my gratefulness to him. In complete trust, there is no need to sacrifice or submit. As I sit in this chair, there is no need to sacrifice or submit. In my relationship with God, there should be no reason for me to sacrifice or submit. In my marriage, because of the depth of our love for each other, because of our mutual love, there should be no friction about sacrifice or submission. So men, what would it be like if we were to be like Christ? To give up everything for our loved ones before they asked, before they needed it. What if we were sacrificial, not only in the big things, but here's where I struggle, in the everyday small things. Someone points a weapon at my wife, I am going to stand in front of her. My wife asked me to do this chore, I am going to try to pretend like I didn't hear her. <laughs> it's going to be an awkward lunch. <clears throat> Today's our birthday, too, which makes it even worse. <laughs> it's quite a different thing to willingly take on a task that we both detest, to emulate Christ's sacrifice for her, and to do it again the next day, and to do it a thousand times more in a thousand different ways so that she knows that she is loved and cherished. I have to face my own sinfulness in this regard. I have to face my own lack of trust in Christ 
that this is the best way for me to live, that this is going to give me the most joy, that this is going to give me the most rewards. Young men, as you look at who you might want to be in relationship with for the long term, you have to ask yourself whether Christ is in you with this. Can you submit yourselves to her out of love? If I try to do this for Sonia as my only reason and just because I'm a human, if I try to do this out of my human will, I know I'm going to fail. But if I inject Christ's sacrifice into my reasons, if I overlay my gratefulness to him, to her, then hopefully my fight to submit fades and our mutual submission becomes a reality And hopefully, ideally, there is no challenge of will, there is no friction between us. It's hard to read these passages without that tainted lens. You can't stand on a street corner and read this passage and have people understand it in the way that Christ meant it to be. If you love me, I've got you. The better way is here. If you trust me, I've got this. This little sacrifice that you are going to make will give you back a thousand times reward if you trust me. In God's economy, we're all supposed to be servants to each other anyway, right? In God's economy, we're all supposed to consider each other better than ourselves. In all of our relationships, we will find the best way when we are mutually submitting to each other. Our church is going to be healthier the more you invade that section and the more you allow yourselves to be loved on by the adults in this church. Our marriages will get healthier. Maybe someone who visits will notice. Maybe our interactions as we meet each other in a grocery store will be different and someone will notice and the word of the gospel will spread. Maybe something we do for our community will bring notice because we are different, because we are so sacrificial towards each other. Maybe someone will see the gospel lived out in us and say, who is this God that you worship? So as the worship team comes on stage, there's one last neighbor chat today. This may be the hardest one. I want you to ask yourself and share with your neighbor, fill in the blanks, right? The trajectory of my relationship with God lately has been what, flat? The trajectory of my relationship with God lately has been increasing or growing. Or maybe my trajectory hasn't been strong, and so I need you to pray for me. Would you fill in the blank with your neighbor and ask them to pray for you and maybe take 30 seconds to do it right now? Let's pray together.